Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Corey, and Corey is going to share her two birth stories with us. So Corey, do you want to start us off with an introduction? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me here. I feel like um, in the amount of podcasts that I was like binging in my last few months or my last few weeks, I guess, of pregnancy leading up into my age back, I was like, I just want to get to a place where like my story can also be an inspiration for others, you know, like that was actually kind of like this motivation, you know, motivating factor, um, even through labor, even though the hard parts of labor, I was reflecting back on all the stories that I heard. And I just know how important it is to hear stories from other women. So to be here sharing my story is really, it's really such an honor. So thank thank you. you. Yes. Thank you for being willing to share. I, I agree. I think it's really important to get these stories out there and build that community for other women who are in the same place. Totally. Yeah. And uh, you asked me a little bit about myself. I am, yeah, I'm a mom of two now and I live on the island of Maui with my three-year-old son, Koa, um, and my husband and then my, my daughter's story. And um, I basically, my platform is all about educating about the metabolism, which is kind of like the root of every um, balance or imbalance in the body. It's basically just describing the cellular function of your body. And so it's describing, you know, hormone balance and detoxification and really any symptom you would have would be rooted in metabolic dysfunction. And so, yeah, I got into this work kind of a few years ago, but not really understand, not understanding all that I know now. Um, at the time, I think it was more focused on metabolic health coming from, you know, eating enough and eating quote clean and then like exercising the right way. And then as I've gone on, I've learned a lot more that foods are so therapeutic and there's just so much more to learn about the metabolism. But, um, essentially I, yeah, that's my, that's my platform now is just educating men and women, but mostly women on, um, just how to restore the metabolic function in their youth and reclaim their, their energy and their vitality, you know, come off of stress hormones and just be able to live a really vibrant, healthy life and return to ancestral eating and really be able to honor our bodies. And I have a podcast if anybody wants to listen for, you know, free content and then an online course as well. But my, my podcast is truly one of my favorite things that I do just to be able to bring people in and provide free content to them. And what is the podcast called? And then where are you on Facebook and Instagram or just Instagram? Instagram is where I provide content. My Facebook is just a private community of my course students, but the podcast is called the Freely Rooted Podcast. It's myself and my co-host Fallon. She creates metabolic meal plans. And then my Instagram is Corey Malloy. So it's just K-O-R-I-M-E-L-O-Y. Awesome. I will definitely put links to both of those just because I, we were kind of chatting before we started recording, but I have personally learned so much from you just in the short time that I've been following you. So I think that that's information that all women should have access to. And kind of like you were saying, when you first started out, you were just looking at like eating enough and eating clean Mm -hmm. and basically like the basics, you know, (laughs) and there's so many other avenues that you can go down or rabbit holes or whatever you want to call them. And sometimes it can be really daunting to 
to try to figure all of that out yourself or do all of this research and you could spend hours upon hours upon hours Mm -hmm. searching for all of this. So it's awesome that you've put all of that in one accessible place for others to to be able to reach out to. Totally. And I think the course, you know, when I developed my course, I was like, okay, this is going to be the, the way that I try to make this information digestible in a step-by-step process. But there were still so many people that were like, I do not understand the importance of metabolism and didn't realize, you know, <laughs> just that that describes their health period. And so when we developed our podcast or when we launched our podcast, that is when we were really able to, I guess, simplify it even more. And also just to provide, it was really important for me to provide free content. You know, there's people that are ready to invest the money into the course, but there's also people that are, that are not. And a lot has happened over the last couple of years with, you know, job stability and just, just a lot, um, you know, politically. And I think that, um, just having a free resource out there where people are able to make simple steps, you know, from their own home and especially moms, like my heart, I have a very obviously tender place in my heart for postpartum moms, for moms who are trying to get pregnant or are pregnant, um, just to be able to invest um, nourishment into their bodies first, because that will outpour into their entire family from there. You cannot like invest energetically into your kids and your husband if you are not um, taking care of yourself first. And so being able to you know, do that simply and in a way that makes sense and is sustainable for you is just like my ultimate priority. That is so awesome to hear. Well, why don't you take us to wherever you want to start with your first pregnancy? Yeah. So my first pregnancy, my son Koa, I was living in Florida at the time. So I wasn't living here and, um, birth centers were, more popular where I was living in Florida. And so I was like, I'm going to go with a birth center. I had watched the business of being born before I got pregnant. And I immediately knew (laughs) that that was not the route I wanted to go. Um, and you know, prior to that, actually I had healed my my endometriosis alongside a practitioner and gotten into obviously metabolic health and my experience with endometriosis and kind of the um, OBGYN model of care, it was just not for me personally. Um, and then in combination of watching the business of being born, I was like, okay, I really love midwifery care. This is, this aligns with me. Um, but I don't think home birth was on my radar yet. I don't know if anybody relates to that, but I just like was not on my radar and went to a birth center, loved my midwives, loved just how I was treated there. And, um, it was an incredible experience. My pregnancy was amazing and super healthy and everything was going great until 38 weeks when I found out my son was in transverse lie. And I'm not a hundred percent positive if he was, you know, like if he, if he flipped last minute or if he was like that for a while, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing regular ultrasounds or anything, nor do I recommend that. You know, I just, I, I wasn't, um, I didn't know how to baby map and I did not know how to, you know, palpate at the time, uh, to figure out if my baby was in the optimal position. So found out he was in transverse lie. My midwife was just feeling around one day, uh, during a, during an appointment. And she was like, I really feel like I'm feeling feet down below. Cause his, his feet were kind of dangling. Um, if you can imagine like bottom was on one side, head was on the other side, you know, sideways and then feet were down below. So we confirmed it with a really quick, I guess you could call it an ultrasound. It seemed like different than that, but I guess that's what it was. And then I spent the next week, you know, doing spinning babies and Webster's techniques and pull handstands and moxibustion and acupuncture, just like all the things. And he was super, super stuck at that point and approaching 10 pounds. So he was just like, he was just big. 
my water ended up breaking at 38 weeks while he was still stuck in that position. And so we just drove to the nearest hospital. Um, I wasn't under anybody's care there and it was honestly just a really not ideal experience there. I think it would have been different if I was under someone's care, but yeah, just treated really poorly in there. I was separated from my son for a really long time after birth. And I think that the hardest thing for me was that I was told we were going to do a gentle cesarean, or that's what I advocated for. I was like, can we please do a gentle cesarean quote unquote, which means you have like a clear screen in front of you where you can see baby come out and then you do skin to skin right away. And there's a couple different things involved there. If you guys want to look that up, but I'm sure you're familiar with it, but we, yeah, whenever I was in there, like actually in the operating room, nothing went like that. And so it felt like a break of trust and I wasn't able to see him come out. And so the first time I heard him or saw him or realized what was happening, he was already out and on the other side of the room. And that's when I heard him cry for the first time. And I remember that really, really messing with me to like not experience myself giving birth to my, to my child. He's like in the other side of the room, you know, the first time I see him, it was just so, it was so bizarre to me. I had a really bad reaction to the drugs and was just vomiting like profusely. And so I couldn't hold him because I was shaking. And so I think it was a good hour that I was not able to have any skin to skin, hold him at all. And then by the time that I finally got him, that was like, basically a nurse came in and a lactation consultant came in and they were like, all right, you've got five minutes basically to make him latch. Otherwise we're going to have to give him formula. And I was just like, whoa, what? Like, what are you, oh what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like just so much pressure. And I remember, cause I couldn't hold him still. Cause my arms were shaking so badly. I remember the nurse or the lactation consultant. I don't know which one, but I remember her just taking his head and shoving it on the nipple three times. And I, I'll just never forget that. I just, it was such a vivid memory of her shoving it on there. And whenever he didn't latch, she was like, well, we've exhausted all of our efforts and it's time to um, think about the next option. And I just remember like, I, I, we were just like, our jaws were just on the floor. Like, like my husband, thankfully was just like, was able to step in and be like, no, like give us another chance. Like just, just give us a second. Um, and we were finally able to go into like the recovery room. I don't know what you would call that, but the room where you are for the next, you know, day and a half or so. And when I finally relaxed and was able to give him a chance to latch, he latched right away and everything was fine. But that was just, I would say that describes our experience in the hospital. And it was very clear to me from that experience that, you know, I had had a C-section obviously, and I knew that the v, a V-back was what was going to be next. And so even that experience right there was very confirming to me that I did not want to be back in that environment. I know that's one person's, it's one person's experience. It's, it's one anecdotal experience, but it just, it left such a, an imprinting of me of just, I want to be under a different model of care. You know, people that are just here for the support of not only the mother's health, but the baby's health and, and just so much more holistic in that way. The unfortunate thing was that Florida does not allow for VBACs in birth centers. And so really your only option is to have a home birth, but you have to have an OBGYN actually sign off on it and allow you to do that. Um, and so I remember thinking, okay, what are my options here? And I was immediately, even like the first six months postpartum, just really educated on my, really educated myself on like my rights and kind of like pumped myself up for, for having a VBAC, but knew that I didn't want to get pregnant for at least, you know, two and a half years. But eventually we, we ended up moving to uh, Hawaii 
where there are like no hospital VBACs here either uh, on our island. And so really your, your only option is um, an HVAC. Your only option is an HVAC with a midwife or you go to another island if you want to give birth in a hospital there. So that's pretty much what landed me where, where I was before I got pregnant with my daughter. So just jumping back to that immediate time after your son was born, I first just want to comment on your husband. Like, thank goodness he stepped in because I mean, I, I know you said like, this is just one person's story, but unfortunately it is. I mean, it's a very common story, you know, that just not having the holistic support and people who look at the bigger picture in hospital settings most of the time. So a lot of times the focus is just on like, okay, we need, we need baby out. We need baby here. Okay. Baby's breathing. Baby's fine. Like it doesn't, there's just no, what am I trying to say? There's no focus on like how what's going on with the baby affects mom and how what's going on with mom affects baby. Like there's no cohesive unit there a lot of times. And so I just, I mean, kudos to your husband just for stepping in and saying like, okay, well just give us a minute because that's a lot of pressure to be put under after going through something that you weren't planning on doing. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of nerves and anxiety and all of those different feelings that came up in that situation. And then having the adverse reaction to everything, like not even feeling really in control of your own body, it's, I mean, it's not shocking that things didn't happen instantaneously. Oh, like yeah. sometimes you just need to take that minute to to <laughs> sit, to step back and take a break and, and digest everything that just happened. But my, my other question just with all of that is how, how did all of that transition into being at home, like after leaving the hospital and kind of getting settled in at home, what was that postpartum time like the first couple of months? So I had a really interesting postpartum experience with my son. I think, I think no one can prepare you for the cultural shock of the whole sleep training versus not sleep training. And just like, I don't, I don't know. I could not, I did, I was not prepared for how much unsolicited advice I was going to receive as a brand new mom. Um, and so kind of, you know, with the hospital experience, I feel like I was really taken out of my power a little bit as a mom. And, you know, I went home, we were actually living in a kind of like this big compound house with my parents at the time. They were like temporarily in and out of the house, um, and living somewhere else too. You know, they were super helpful with, with, with meals and whatnot, Um, and that was really nice. And we also had a meal train from our church and people brought uh, wonderful meals to us. And like that all was an essential part of, of a postpartum experience. However, um, I just could not believe the amount of just like, you know, you're holding him too much. You're, you know, he's using you as a pacifier. He's just all, all the things. And looking back, I think my son, like, had obviously experienced a little bit of birth trauma himself. And that is a really stressful environment to come into the world under and be separated from your mom for the first hour during that golden hour. And I think, you know, cortisol might've been a little bit elevated, which makes him want to be more attached and makes him want to regulate with me, right? Like to co-regulate together. It was just a really, I wouldn't say dark. I definitely didn't experience any kind of postpartum depression, a little bit of blues probably, but I just remember being just angry. I think I was just really angry at the idea of like, why is no one validating my instincts? And why is no one believing me what I'm saying? I know what I'm doing 
what's best for my son. And the, during the first four weeks, and I don't know, like across the board with your podcast, like how many, um, people would relate to this as well. But during the first four weeks, I remember being like, well, he can't come in my bed because everyone's saying he can't come in my bed and that he's going to suffocate and like just all the fear-based messages. And so I was just trying for the first four weeks to put him in the bassinet next to my bed. Cause I was just like, well, he can't like, I can't, I can't sleep with him in here. And I ended up, I, I feel like I could have, I feel like it was dangerous. The level of, um, exhaustion I was, mm -hmm. I was facing during that time, trying to force my son into something that wasn't biologically even appropriate for him. And so I remember at four weeks postpartum, I was like, I think I, I think something's going to happen to me like horribly. Like I'm going to be driving and just like, you know, fall asleep at the wheel if I do not get some sort of sleep. And I remember taking him into bed with me, going to bed that night with him just snuggled into my chest and we were sideline nursing and we slept for like eight hours. <laughs> and I was just like, what is this? Like, I'm never going back. And so I think that allowed us to go. We were on the up and up from there. That was kind of the first time that I allowed myself to trust my instincts. And I think that really set the foundation for the rest of our relationship and me being able to give him that and him also just like communicating to me. He had been communicating to me from day one. I just want to be near you, mom, you know, and that, yeah, I, I think after about four weeks postpartum, things got a lot better. However, um, yeah, the, the comments don't stop. I mean, my gosh, like it's, it's just the amount of, yeah, the unsolicited advice and the fear-based messages surrounding infant sleep is just really, it's really shocking. It is. I, I went through a similar experience with my son. There was actually one night, I remember I was sitting up, we have like a little glider, rocking chair, whatever you want to call it. And I was sitting in there nursing him one night and I fell asleep with him mm. sitting with me. He was on like a little boppy pillow or whatever they're called. Yeah. And I remember, I don't remember falling asleep, but I remember all of a sudden waking up and I was so startled and it scared me. I mean, mm. I... I was terrified because I was like, I could have suffocated him. He could have rolled off of my lap and fallen on the floor. Like would I have even woken up or noticed? And that's when I looked into like this, this what is it called? The safe sleep seven ah, and co-sleeping yeah, yeah. and sideline nursing and all of that. Cause I heard the exact same thing. It's not safe <laughs> to sleep with your baby. And when we were in the hospital, the nurses would make me keep him in that little plastic bassinet oh tub or oh it was horrible <laughs> and there was actually a night in the hospital where i woke up because i heard him like i don't know if he was gagging or just breathing funny or what it was and he had vomited and was on <gasps> his back and that was like the most terrifying moment oh my of my entire life and i was like what if he does that when he's in his crib in the other room or across the room or whatever at home and I don't hear him. Like the only reason I probably heard him was because he was right next to me. Exactly. And so as soon as those things happened, I don't know why I didn't listen to my instincts the first time after that happened in the hospital. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You hear all these voices and opinions and people giving you this unsolicited fear-based advice not to co-sleep, not to do all of these things. And so you think it's super dangerous. Mm -hmm. But if you actually do the research and look at what is biologically normal and appropriate for a newborn who only knows you, has only mm -hmm. been with you their entire lives, of course there's going to be issues if you separate. And so I, I was really glad just to come to that realization too that it's okay to practice attachment parenting or whatever you want to call it and 
be close to your baby, spend that time with your baby. I think I held my son for the first like eight to nine months of his life. Like he barely got put down. (laughs) And I had so many people tell me like, oh, you're going to spoil him. If you hold him and respond to him all the time, then he's going to expect that. And it's like, well, isn't that kind of the point? Like I <laughs> I want him to know that I'm going to respond to him and that I'm going to meet his needs when he needs that. So I'm just I'm just really glad. I mean, I could go off on a on a different tangent here too, but I'm just glad that you brought that up because I think that's something that a lot of new moms struggle with, especially the first time around when we don't set moms up to have the right expectations postpartum a lot of times, I think. Mm-hmm. Um we we don't always share the not so great stories or the struggles and a lot of times you just see like what you would see on an Instagram feed you see the highlights and all the good stuff but you don't see the sleeplessness or the sleep deprivation or whatever struggle it is that you're going through and so i think it's really important to talk about those things and share that it's okay to listen to your intuition even if it goes against what everybody else is telling you with their unsolicited advice. Exactly. And I think even just uh, something I've really tried to do is spread awareness of the reason that I am getting great sleep this second time around is because we are bed sharing and co-sleeping and like sleeping the way that works best for us. And Mm -hmm. therefore our entire family is sleeping well because no one is waking up in the night. Like, you know, my daughter will wake up to nurse And we'll just nurse really quick and then go back to sleep. But we're both half awake when she does it. And I can't believe how much more rest I'm getting this time around because day one, you know, she's born and we just go right to bed and lay next to each other all night. And it just, it just feels right. It just feels right. Yeah. And then there's not that internal struggle there either, where it's like, well, this isn't working, but I don't feel like I can do anything else or I have any other option because that itself can be really mentally exhausting. Yeah, totally. So then you mentioned that after his birth, you wanted a VBAC. Like you knew that VBAC was what you wanted to do in a future pregnancy. But how did you feel about the home birth side of things? My mom was actually a home birther. And it seems like that would have been the first choice, you know, even with my with my son, Koa. But I think because it was so foreign to my husband, we just weren't fully there the first time around only because of that. Like as first time parents, it just like, it just really was not on our radar. But after we had, um, my son and I found out that, you know, the VBACs weren't allowed at birth centers, I was just like, Oh, duh, home birth. Like it was just, it felt like the most natural response. If that was going to be where I felt safest, most supported and where I felt like the, that was the best environment for me to give birth. And, um, I think it, I mean, everyone, I have a lot of people who tell me that their husbands, you know, quote, won't allow them to have home births because they don't feel like it's safe. And I'm like, well, what is safety? Like, what's the definition of safety? Because I think a lot of us have different definitions. And for the husband, that might be safety means that you could have a C-section right there if something went wrong or like it makes them safe to have the emergency equipment on hand or like maybe certain kinds of emergency equipment. But I don't think that the woman and the baby are equated always whenever thinking about safety because for a woman, I mean, especially when I just learned more about physiological birth, I was like, safety means where you feel safe, you know, like where Mm -hmm. you feel supported. And wouldn't that technically be a bet, a better birth outcome because you're allowing your body to work the way that it should, because you feel so 
incredibly safe in your environment. And so like that should dictate the environment you give birth in. And I, because I had had such, because I felt so, I guess I'm trying to think of a word, but other than unsafe, but like, maybe I'll just say that because I felt so unsafe, unsupported. I don't know. I just, just not a great experience in the hospital because it was such a poor experience. You know, if that was my only option, maybe I could have done some brain rewiring and like serious amount of therapy to, to kind of alter that and like re train the way that I think about hospitals for sure. Like that was definitely an option. And I did do a lot of birth trauma, um, therapy. However, I felt that a home birth, even after that, and even after doing therapy, I still felt like the home birth, a home birth made the most sense and that that was the most safe environment for me. And my husband was a hundred percent on board. And I am a very passionate person. I'll be honest. Like I, I can be very dominating in the way that I talk about things if I'm passionate about it. So I can't imagine that my husband would have been like putting up a fight to when I, you know, laid it all out on the table and explained to him, like, this is, I feel right about this, but my husband, like he has a lot of trust, I guess, in me. And if my gut is saying, this is where I want to give birth, like he's going to trust that. And that's a question that I get from a lot of women is, well, how can I convince my husband or how can I get him on board? Because I really want to do a home birth, but he doesn't like the idea of it. And mm-hmm. I I kind of say a similar thing to what you said is your body is the one that needs to feel safe in order for the physiological design of birth to unfold. Because if you feel like you're having to put up a fight and defend yourself and be in your rational mind during labor and birth, your body is going to, I mean, it basically protects your baby. It holds your baby in and it stops these physiological processes from unfolding because it doesn't feel safe. And so I, I never want to like undermine the partner or husband or whoever it is, like their opinion, because I do believe that it's important to have that support but I I just think that how the woman feels about it is a little bit more important just because they're the ones who you can't trick your body, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you, you have to 100% feel confident and safe in your choices. And so it's really hard for me to tell women like, okay, well, it would be okay to compromise. And that is what some women choose. So I hear a lot of like, well, I wanted a home birth. He wanted a hospital birth. So we decided on a birth center type of thing, which is fine. Like if that works for you, that works for you. But my biggest piece of advice to women is always to do exactly what you did. Lay it all out on the table, help educate your husband or your partner so that they can understand where you're coming from and see it all for themselves. And at the end of the day, if they still don't agree, then that's something that you guys need to work out. But ultimately it just comes down to the woman feeling safe. And I, I'm so glad to hear that he had that trust and that confidence in the decision that you were making because he, I mean, I'm sure he trusted your body. He trusted your decision-making. He trusted your intuition. And that's really important within all of that as well. Yeah. And I hope like, I, I love what you said. Cause I was like, Ooh, I hope I'm not coming off. Like <clears throat> I'm saying to bulldoze of your husband by any means, but how, how you just phrase it is exactly it. Like if they are making a decision based on not being educated in it, I think it's totally fine to help educate your husband. And then, and then you guys come to a different conclusion from there. But 
if it's <clears throat> if the way that they see birth is based on their own experience in the way that they see birth, you know what I mean? As opposed to like a mutual experience and like you said, like all the information in front of that in front of them, then I think that that's something that needs to be um, addressed because we are so conditioned when it comes to birth from just what we know. Well, yeah, you look at any TV show or movie or anything out there that has a birth scene in it. And it's like the most traumatizing, scary thing <laughs> in the entire world. Like, of course, the men are terrified when you say, oh, I want to have a home birth if they've never been exposed to that. Because it's like you see these de these depictions of birth that the doctor comes in at the last minute and saves the day because women aren't <laughs> capable of giving birth to their babies on their own, yada, yada, yada. I mean, the whole narrative. And so you're right. We're completely conditioned to view birth as this terrifying, scary thing when if you truly take the time to like sit down and educate yourself and watch these home birth videos or natural birth videos in the hospital or whatever it is, there is a completely different way to do things. My son was around 26 months. I think that's around the time that I got pregnant the second time. And like I said, by the time that I got pregnant the second time, we had moved to Hawaii. And um, the thing I love about living here is that home births are very common. Like they're very sacred and they're very ancestral. And there are actually a lot of, um, you know, local Hawaiian women who are, they've been midwives through like family and, and generations. So it's like the mother, you know, the grandmother taught the mother who taught the daughter and, and so on and so on. And it's really beautiful. And there are a lot of like traditions involved with the way that they do births here as well. And so, yeah, I got pregnant and by then I, it's so funny because I, I could not imagine an, another child with how like attached my son was honestly until like the month before I got pregnant. It always happens that way. I feel like, um, we were just like, do we even like want another child? Like this is, we were just like, so, um, I don't know. It was just like, so involved to have one child and be able to be there for his emotional and physical and like, just all of it was just very, um, all encompassing. And so, yeah, we, we like felt ready and then suddenly got pregnant like that next month. And, um, my pregnancy with her was amazing. I found a midwife who multiple friends had used. And so I had met her before and, um, she just has a really beautiful soul and is super laid back. And I was like, that's the one I want. Like, I want the laid back one that really, really trusts in the female body. I think that was like the main thing that where she stood out, she was not going to be like the conservative midwife who has you on a clock or, you know, wants to intervene if she sees that something might be not going the way that we want it to. Like she very much just kind of like steps back and just lets the body work how it should. And even like throughout my pregnancy with her, um, we, and those visits by the way, are just like the ultimate, I'm just like, this just is right. Like you just, you go, she either comes to my house or I go to, I go to her office and we sit there for, you know, an hour and a half, <laughs> you know, like I have my son there. She has her daughter breastfeeding. Like these are our visits, just like hanging out and telling birth stories. And I basically just had like a really laid back pregnancy. I declined all interventions, all tests. And I did have one, sorry. I had one ultrasound at 24 weeks or so. She, my midwife was saying, I don't know if anyone else that you've interviewed has 
said a similar thing, but my midwife has said that with her VBAC clients, she sometimes likes for them if they feel that it's right to go get an ultrasound just to make sure that there's no like placenta previa or like just to like double check in their mind and kind of, I don't know who the author is that talk. It might, I mean, it might be Ina May that talks about this, but like to give birth, like to have a home birth, there is this process where you accept this knowing that your body can do this. And, um, I think it's Ina May that talks about the fact that sometimes that knowing comes from within you, like just innate wisdom. And sometimes that knowing does come from some sort of outsourcing. So like an ultrasound or something else that helps you like develop that deep knowing and trust in your body that you will do this. And so my midwife, um, uses uh, that 20 week anatomy scan as a tool if needed, if it feels right to like, make sure that everything is good. And that way you can just kind of like rest and, and know that this will happen. And yeah, so I was really glad that I did it. And yeah, my pregnancy with her was just really laid back and it was just a really, really sweet time with my son as well. It was probably the most, my most sacred and most memorable times that I will ever have with him is just that time when I was pregnant with my daughter and he just understood everything so well. He was, he turned three, like a month and a half before she was born. And the amount of birth videos he had watched by then was insane. Insane. He just was so interested in the process and just the transition was so right at that age and for him. And it just was such a smooth transition to like bring another life into this world. But yeah, that was basically my, my pregnancy with her. That's so fun that he got to do all of that with you, like watching the birth videos and preparing. And I'm assuming he was at the birth then too. Well, the birth was quite a bit longer than I, (laughs) than I ever could have anticipated. And so he was actually asleep whenever I, it got to the pushing part and it was, I, I got her, I like, I mean, we'll get to the story later, but she was in and out like in, in less than two minutes by the time that I felt ready to push by the time that she was out of the water. And so we didn't have enough time to go grab him and, you know, wake him up. But as soon as she was out, my chiropractor actually went and woke him up and brought him out. Like as soon as she was, as she was born. So we revealed the gender together and still like very involved. Um, but he wasn't actually super bummed that he missed the birth. Like we, we've been talking about it for, you know, like eight months and he, or nine months. And he was, I was thankful that he was not sad that he missed the actual, you know, birth part. But that's still awesome just to be able to have him there immediately after, because a lot of times it's like 12 hours later or the next day, or not until you get home from the hospital, if you're not having a home birth that the new baby gets to meet their siblings. So that's really special that he got to be there and that you got to find out that she was a girl at the same time and together. It was, yeah, it was super important to me for him to be involved in the birth process in some way. And I had read a lot about psychology, which is like siblings as well. And this is not to say that, (laughs) that, you know, siblings are going to have a hard time if you give birth in a hospital, but just if you have the opportunity to set the environment for that process to be so much more natural for them, because that's how it was for, you know, thousands of years, you know, siblings were, they were aware and there and somewhat present, I guess, whenever, you know, their moms were giving birth. And so, yeah, it was, it was incredibly sacred to have him there whenever she was born. So was there anything 
during that pregnancy that you did specifically to prepare for a home birth after a C-section? Oh my gosh. Um, a lot (laughs) actually. I, yeah, there was a lot. I, first of all, to kind of like preface everything, I felt like the biggest thing that I had to learn was how to take responsibility for my own body and like my, my health and all these things. And I, I, it, I was getting there up until that pregnancy. And then in that pregnancy was when I was realizing like, this is the woman's opportunity to like step into that responsibility of advocating for herself and bringing that power back into herself to, to just advocate for her body basically. And that kind of prefaces it. And then, you know, within that came, you know, okay, I'm going to learn how to belly map. So like every time I had a midwife's appointment, you know, she would teach me how to do it. I was like, Hey, teach instead of like you telling me where the head is, like, teach me how to belly map. I'm going to do it. My son was even there, you know, when we were figuring out how to belly map, I watched a lot of YouTube tutorials, but I just wanted to get to a place where like at any given day, at any given time, once my baby was big enough, I could tell positionally where she was. I didn't know it was a girl at the time, of course, but where he or she was. The other things that I did was see a chiropractor. She's also, you know, she does like craniosacral therapy and it's like a very all-inclusive chiropractor, but I saw her like from the moment I found out that I was pregnant very regularly, um, to really, really prepare my pelvis and my ligaments. And cause I was just so tight. Um, that was something that I, you know, realized when I gave, or when I had my C-section with my son is for him to have like wedged his way up there. That's obviously like the path of least resistance. And so I, I was definitely not doing like regular prenatal focused body work in my pregnancy with him. And I think that made the biggest difference in my pregnancy with, with my daughter was just a ton of body work and like really, um, yeah, like intentional deep body work to make sure that my body was like opening up the way that it was supposed to physically. And then at the same time doing my doula, actually, she is, she does a technique that combines like EFT with, which is like emotional freedom technique. that's like tapping with all these other types of, um, like trauma therapy. And we kind of like went through my birth story with my, you know, previous son and healed a lot of childhood wounds. And like, it was a whole process. And that was able to like, allow me to open up, uh, kind of emotionally to the process and spiritually to the process. And so it was a whole opening is how I would, how I would describe it of just allowing my body to prepare for like the most raw and vulnerable, season of my life, which is birth, you know, like it's such a raw and open and vulnerable thing to go through, if not the most raw and vulnerable thing that you can allow your body to go through. And I didn't realize how much preparation that takes if you're not used to like opening yourself up like that. And I feel like, you know, one of the biggest things that I learned was just how birth is just this opportunity to kind of like rebirth yourself as a woman and I mean, I could think of like five stories off the top of my head of friends who, you know, didn't realize they had some sort of like trauma or, or something that had happened to them. And then during birth, like literally during labor itself, that memory came up and like, they had to deal with it, like in that moment before bringing their child into this world. And like that stuff blows my mind. And it's a lot of what my doula is into. And so we were just doing a lot of, um, yeah, like brain rewiring therapy, addressing my, 
childhood, you know, um, relationship with my mom, with my dad, you know, it's all, it's all very like inclusive in that way. And so I feel like that covers, okay. So like physically, emotionally, spiritually, basically just relearning trust in my body. I feel like that's the biggest thing that anyone has to do that has had a C-section is to relearn trust in yourself and to understand, oh no, like my body can do this. My body does not fail me. It, it didn't fail me. Like I, I can do this and I'm capable of this. And, um, it's a knowing that you have to like re (laughs) you have to relearn it a little bit. And so that was kind of the biggest thing I was focusing on during my pregnancy. I'm really glad that you brought up both the physical and like emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever you want to call it side of things, because I see in so many of these groups that I'm in, I'll see women pose the question like, what did you do to prepare for your VBAC or your HBAC? And so much of it is, I mean, you hear like eat clean, healthy foods, exercise, (laughs) go on walks, go to the chiropractor. Like those are the main things that I feel like I normally see. And very few people touch on the mental side of things. And I feel like that can honestly be one of the bigger pieces in birth because I too have heard the stories of like those childhood memories or traumas or whatever it is coming up during birth and completely stalling labor until Mm -hmm. whatever it is can get worked through. And it really just points to how connected your mind and your body are. And I think that that is a piece that so many people miss because we completely diminish how big of an impact that can actually have. Exactly. And uh, I think that um, I don't think a lot of people even know, honestly, and mm-hmm. or, or have made the connection like of how powerful that is. And I mean, you can go your whole life without without noticing, you know, if you if you don't want to notice the connection, like you won't see it. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, <laughs> right. Uh, there's no unlearning that <laughs> there's no unlearning. So it's just really true. Yeah, I agree. So then take us to where or take us to the end of your pregnancy and where labor began. So end of pregnancy, I actually, I usually tell people that was the hardest part for me of pregnancy because my son being the size he was at 38 weeks, um, I was like, I'm for sure like going to go into labor around, you know, somewhere between like 38 and 40. Like, we'll, we'll see if I, if I even make it to 40 weeks and, and I've never been like a due date person. Like I'm, I completely understand these are guesses. They're pretty unreliable. Um, but just for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to get birth before 40 weeks. I just, I thought that I knew that I was. And, and plus like my belly was so much bigger and I just, I thought I was going to go into labor so much sooner than I did. And 40 weeks, 40 weeks came and passed and I still felt great. I felt amazing. I mean, I just was like so excited for that experience and you know, could not get enough of the birth stories and the books and the birth videos and was in a really great headspace until I would say 41 and maybe like 41 in five days or something. That is when I was like, is this ever going to happen? Like I don't, or no, maybe it was like 41 in four days. Cause I think I went into labor at 41 in five days and then I gave birth at 42 weeks. Um, and Yeah. So I, the fear started creeping in and that's just me being like very vulnerable and honest about it. But my doula actually came over like right away. And, um, she was like, you feel like this baby's too big, don't you? And I was like, yep, that is my fear right now. Like, I just feel like 
you know, he or she is not going to come through my pelvis. And like, how, how would they, like, they're going to be, you know, like 30 pounds. Like I just, I was convinced that this is just <laughs> a, 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 like a, you know, a gorilla coming out. So, um, we did, did we just like talk through it all? And I was just like, what am I thinking? Like, like my pelvis, like it, my body is meant to do this. Like it's, it's going to do this and, um, felt a lot better about that. And then I was also getting really like a ton of signs and symptoms. So that like, I think for four weeks straight, I was having, uh, like timeable Braxton Hicks where I was like, these kind of like feel like contractions and they would come very regularly, you know, last all night long. And, I had lost my mucus plug actually for two weeks straight. It kept like regrowing and then losing it or like resealing. And then I would lose it again. And so like every single day I was like, here it is, like it's going to happen. And then, um, I guess like my mucus plug would like re reseal. I didn't even know that it could do that. My midwife was the one that was like, Oh no, it's just regenerating or mm -hmm. re yeah. Regenerating. And just a lot of other things where I was like, for sure today's the day. And it just wasn't happening. But 41 in five days. I think the night before my midwife actually came over and, um, she did something called, she calls it setting the intention for birth. And so she came over with, well, first off, she had a super busy month, the, the month prior, like just like honestly a ton of births and maybe my own body was just like waiting for her to like be free and available to like be able to be there as a part of my birth. But essentially I was the last one before her like month off. And I was the only one who hadn't given birth yet. And finally she was like, I'm going to come over with all of my birth supplies. So she dropped off the pool. She came over and brought her table. We did some sideline releases and she was just like, this is what I call, yes, like setting the intention for birth. And it's showing you that I'm here. Like I'm available. I like, if your body is, is ready for this, like everything is ready for you in this house already. And she left and then my contractions actually started that night. And so I, yeah, my contraction started at like 2 AM. So I basically, yeah, I woke up and had my bloody show. Maybe my contractions started after that, but they were in my back. And that was a huge surprise to me. And I remember thinking like, this is going to go away. Like there's no way that I'm going to have contractions in my back, like during my labor, like, it's just like, no way I was in like denial <laughs> so that like, this was going to happen. Um, and so I was super crampy, but that was like, you know, that had been happening for five days now of just like crazy, crazy crampiness. And I laid back in bed, was able to time my contractions. They were like every 10 minutes the rest of the night, but I just like made sure that I slept. Um, so I just slept between each one. And then when I woke up in the morning, my contractions slowed down. And I feel like that is super common. You know, the sun comes up and then my child woke up and my body was like, uh, like not right now, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, everything slowed down, but I knew with like my deepest, my, in like the deepest knowing of myself that, that, that labor was going to come on like full force that night as soon as the sun would go back down. So I basically like spent the day preparing food and cleaning the house and we got the, we got the tub out. And then sometime that afternoon, I remember going on a walk with my son and I was like, I'm just going to go on like one last walk, but it felt like my back had, it felt like I had like an injury. Like that's kind of like what it felt like in between the contractions, because once back labor started, there was no relief from it. So it's like the contraction would come or like the wave would come, the intensity would, you know, come and go, 
but afterwards there would still be like a radiating, I don't know, just feeling like my back was like splitting open. So I was like, going to go on a walk with my son. And I remember I, I could only get like about a hundred yards. And I called my husband to come pick me up. Cause I could like, I, I, I couldn't even like walk. Like my, my back was so stiff. And I think up until that point, I had always thought that back labor was a result of a, of sunny side up or like a poor position, but that is not the case. And I was really mind blown about it. And I'll share more about that later, but essentially my husband came and picked me up. We got home. I finished dinner, hung out inside. And also I just knew that I needed to be inside. There is, I think there's a moment when labor is happening where you're like, I don't want to see anybody and I should not be out in civilization. And that was that, like, I was, I was definitely like going inward. I forget the girl who wrote this book. I'll have to, I'll have to like send it to you and maybe you can put it in the show notes, but it talks about the stages of labor. And this is one, this is the one where it's called like the separation phase. And it's like, where you like separate from society and like go into your cave basically. So I felt it like hardcore and yeah. So I ate dinner. My husband started to put my son to bed and by then my contractions were probably every like five minutes apart and my husband was doing counter pressure. And then at some point when he had to put my son to bed, I was like, okay, I'm on my own. Like, <laughs> I guess I'm just going to stand with my knuckles, um, against a wall. And so I did that for a while, but I mean, it was like very difficult to do on my own. And then by, I think like eight or 9 PM contractions were like two to three minutes apart on a scale of one to 10. Like it was already like probably an 11, like, like as far as intensity. So I texted my, my midwife and my birth team. And I was just, I just told my birth team to, to keep their phones on that night, but I didn't think I was going to be giving birth anytime soon, you know, but my midwife was like, Oh, like this isn't, this is actually like, I guess, increasing in intensity pretty quickly. So she came over within like 45 minutes, I think. And then she was like, I'm just going to stay the night at your house. I'll sleep on your couch. So I was like, sounds great. So by the time she got there, probably around 10 or 11 PM, I was already a zombie. I'm going to be honest. Like I was already like checking out because it was so intense and I was having a very hard time coping with the back labor. I don't want to talk about it in this fear-based way, but I think I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known it was normal. Mm -hmm. So I would have prepared myself that like, Hey, like, you know, it's normal. And so yeah, I felt myself kind of like checking out. And once I started checking out, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm starting to feel defeated. Cause like, how could I possibly go on for like hours and hours and hours with this amount of intensity? And I was, I was basically like by then I could not speak out loud to anybody. Cause I felt like if I said something, it was going to be, take me to a hospital. You know what I mean? Like I need, I need like drugs at this point. Like I, I so I was like, I'm just gonna stay quiet and just do my best to like ride these out. And so basically we were going through the night. Um, I started vomiting probably by like midnight, I think maybe even, maybe even before. So that's not even that, like, that's not even that long um, of a labor. That was probably like six hours, I guess, of like super intense vomiting. And I mean, just like fluids everywhere. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like a, a battle scene. Um, <laughs> and that was the first time I think I ended up having like, you know, projectile vomit, like probably like four or five times by the time that I gave birth. I don't know if some people are just people that throw up or, or 
if it was a result of the pain, it totally could have been just the pain. But yeah, that was the experience. And then basically my midwife was just like, you have got to get sleep at some point because you're going to have a really big day tomorrow. And so I was like, all right, cool. I was able to sleep for three hours. I just slept between contractions and then sun came up and I, I think at that point was probably like, Ooh, can I do this? Like, I think I was like, some fears were starting to come back of just like, can I go the next like full day? I don't know. Like, I don't know how long this is going to last, but it's like my body kept kind of going in and out. So I would, you know, progress. Everything would get uh, until like back-to-back contractions. You know, they would like roll on top of each other and then they would space out again and be like four minutes apart and then repeat. And so like it kept doing that as like a, you know, like just kind of like a roller coaster for basically like 30, 33 hours. And so I went the whole next day and that was a really fuzzy, like that's still very, very fuzzy to me as far as like just that whole experience. By the way, if you're listening, <laughs> this is definitely not like a peaceful, like, <laughs> like, like peaceful home birth story, but it was so empowering. And so I, I want you to like hang in there. Um, cause I think it's super important to hear the difficult, the difficult birth stories, because yes. I felt very alone, um, in the fact that I was having a hard time. And I think if I had known that so many moms have, you know, strenuous and difficult labors, like the word is actually labor. Cause I think what's really like, I guess, popular right now is like the pain-free births and the, um, ecstatic births. And like, I totally believe people can experience that for sure. I just was not one of, one of those people in this particular labor, but I had this incredible birth team and it was my midwife, her assistant, my husband, of course. And then I had my chiropractor, my doula, and then, um, my friend Ellen, who was like, she was just documenting it, but she was kind of like this rock for, for the experience because she, I wanted her there because she had, she had experienced four home births before and she knew what it meant. She knew what it was like to like be in that moment of just like, can I even do this? You know? And I wanted her to be like that encouragement to me. And so basically went throughout the day with different people in my birth team coming at different times. My doula was basically in charge of communicating like who needs to be here at what time, because she knew me like the back of her hand at that point. And she knew like what I needed probably better than I, than I knew myself because I was so checked out. And I think I'm in my darkest moments of the, the hardest parts. I think I was just waiting for somebody else to tell me that I should transfer because I didn't want to be the one that, that was going to say it, but I, I, I definitely felt that level of defeat is what I want to communicate here. Like I, you can get that far and still make it through is what I want to like, make sure people that, that, that'd be like the takeaway message of just like, you can feel that level of defeat and like still have victory. And so, yeah, so the whole rest of the day, I was so thankful because my doula, she was my next door neighbor and she has a daughter who is a teenager that my son is just totally in love with. And she just came over at the crack of dawn and watched my son for the entire day. Um, we hadn't even really, really planned on childcare. Cause we were like, Oh, my son will just like be there. Like, it's fine. And no, like I needed my husband to be there to apply counter pressure the whole time. And somebody had to watch my son. And so, and my family doesn't live over here. So 
I was just really thankful for the community to, you know, come together in that way. So basically when things got most intense, or I guess, let me back up. I think what was hardest throughout that day was that I could not get myself into positions that were comfortable for me. Um, like I had always heard from, I'm talking like multiple books and multiple resources that pain is a result of you not listening to your body and not like moving into a more comfortable position. So that's what I kept trying to do. I was like, okay, let me move into a more comfortable position. But what was happening when I was doing that was labor was actually slowing down. And for me, what ended up being my biggest takeaway was I actually needed to get into the more uncomfortable positions to let labor progress. And it was something I had never heard a single person talk about. And I was like, why is no one talking about this? But I'll get to that in a second. So essentially throughout the day, I think what was difficult was that was, you know, I kept slowing down. And so my midwife and her assistant would put me into these excruciating positions. Like, um, if you guys want to Google, what is it called? Open the brim. Have you heard of that? Rachel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my word. That is just not I don't a fun know, one. Oh, it was, it was awful. And like, that was one, there was like abdominal lift and tuck. There mm-hmm. were sideline releases. Um, there was the, the one where you do a inverted, um, you do a, an inversion while someone shakes your hips, like as, as fast as possible and as like vigorously as possible. So these, these positions I think took me to like a hundred miles an hour when I wanted rest. And I think that was like what was taking all of the motivation and like energy out of me was just like basically trying to survive (laughs) these positions. They were just so incredibly difficult. And so moving to that night. So I guess I would have been like 41 in six days at this point. So I've been labor for about 24 hours at this point and the sun was going down. And at some point my midwife started talking about transfer. She was afraid that I was going to move into a place of like exhaustion. Right. And so they're trying to give me food. They're trying to give me liquids. And I'm just like, I'm not progressing. I'm stuck. I had been stuck at four centimeters the entire time and was just not getting past that. And so, um, she started talking about transfer and I didn't know that actually until way later when my birth team told me like, Oh, you know, your midwife was talking about transferring at this time. And interestingly, I was in another room when that was happening, but I specifically remember when I was in that room, all of a sudden the whole energy of the house shifted. And I felt like my midwife was talking about that, even though I didn't hear her, but I'm telling you like, that is how in tune moms are while they are in labor. Like they can, you can basically read people's thoughts. Like it is, it is an intense amount of sensitivity to the people in the room and those who are around you. And that is why it is so incredibly important to know your birth team Mm -hmm. and know like how they're going to show up for you. Because as soon as I felt that way, I was so defeated myself And my midwife, I don't think ever doubted me, you know, like, I don't think she was ever like doubting my ability to do it. She just didn't want me to get to a place of no return. And she was just thinking about my safety, but it's just so interesting that I was like, oh my gosh, I was totally feeling that. And I knew my midwife was thinking that like at that exact moment. And so after that moment, what I needed most was actually for other people to 
basically coached me through it because I felt like I did not believe that I could do it at that point. And never did I anticipate for me to get that far in labor. I was like, I like, I just had so much faith in myself prior to the experience, but even, yeah, even just that one person thinking that it might be time to transfer. I just went into total defeat mode and I needed like other people to basically like pick me back up, like figuratively and literally. And so it kept getting later and later. I, you know, probably had like my fourth or fifth, you know, moment of just like throwing up all the food that I just tried to eat and was just in just like a, just an, in, like I, I was just collapsing at that point, just utter exhaustion, utter exhaustion. And at one point, my friend Ellen, she finally got there and she came over to me and she was like, Hey, um, are you ready for your pep talk? Like I'm, I am here to get you through this. Like we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And I remember like not being ready for it at that moment. Cause I knew I was about to enter into one of the hardest experiences of my life. Like I just, I knew that. So I was like, just give me a second. And I went and laid in bed for another 30 minutes, I think went through maybe 10 more contractions. And then I came out and basically she said, you are escaping from the pain in the way that you are going into more comfortable positions. And I had, no one was making that connection. Like I just, I didn't, I wasn't making that connection. I was surprised that my midwife like wasn't even realizing that was what was going on. But my friend Ellen had experienced this with her own birth. And because of that, she was able to communicate that to me in my birth. And she was basically saying like, every time that you move yourself into a more comfortable position, you're obviously stalling your labor. And what you need to do is get yourself into the most uncomfortable position and then relax and release your birthing muscles in that position. And so she asked me, you know, what is the most excruciating position you could, you could possibly think of right now. And I was like, Oh, laying on my back. And she was like, okay, we're about to get into that position. And my heart's like, pounding at this moment. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> no, like there's no way, like I'm so exhausted at this point and there's just nothing left in me. And when I say, you know, when I mentioned earlier that my team was literally carrying me on their back, like this was the moment they were like, we're doing this, like we're going to carry you through this. And so I remember I laid on my back on the couch. I had my chiropractor on one side. I had my friend, um, on the other side and they basically just coached me through my breathing and felt my, they were like, like grabbed onto basically my birthing muscles and could feel if I was tensing them. And through each contraction, they would coach to me through my breathing and coach me through how to release my birthing muscles in that position until I was able to progress. And I remember my midwife actually checked me before I did that. She was like, let me check you one last time. And I told her, don't tell me what it is. I didn't know where I was the whole time until afterwards. When I tell you, I was like, or when I told you guys I'm, I was only four centimeters, I only learned that after I gave birth. I didn't want to know anything, but she checked me and I was still four centimeters at that point. And I, so yeah, that was like probably, I had been in labor for 30, I think 32 hours at that point. And I laid on my back, they coached me through. And I think I was only sitting there between 30 and 40 minutes. Like that's it. And went through probably oh man, I don't know, maybe 10 contractions during that time. And only in that time, like, because it was so intense and the amount of progression that happened whenever you get yourself into the position that is so like, just like the, the, the most intense position you could think of and then release there. 
I progressed to 10 centimeters in a matter of like 40 minutes. Um, and so I basically got to a point, I think it was like the eighth or the ninth contraction where I felt myself overwhelmingly start to push. And everyone was like, no, like my midwife was like, don't push, don't push. And that was when I heard somebody say that I wasn't progressed enough. So I knew, oh my gosh, when she checked me, I must not have been at a like, you know, whatever the most ideal centimeter, but I didn't know I was at four, like four is insane. But she was like, you cannot push right now. You are not uh, dilated enough. And that, that was when I absolutely broke. And that was the darkest, darkest, darkest moment of my whole labor. Cause I was like, I am about to swell up my cervix so dang bad because I could not resist the urge to push. And, and yet my midwife was telling me like, you're not progressed enough. And so I, I think at that point I was literally like crying out to God, like, I've just like helped me. Like I am so, I'm so defeated right now. I don't know what to do. I remember I, I like got up from the couch. I was pacing around. I was like, let me get in the water. Like at least let me get in the bath so I can, so I can relax. And at the same time, my body again would like could not stop pushing. And so my midwife was actually like, let me check you one more time. So I like hopped up on the, on the table and she checked me and I was at 10, at 10 centimeters and they were like, you can push. And I was like, oh my gosh. And honestly, looking back, my body knew I could push. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like I even needed that confirmation of, you know, from my midwife, but it was like, yeah, like looking back, like I knew it was time to push basically. Like, I don't even think I needed to get checked. And so I just like cannonballed into the, into the birthing time. <laughs> you were ready I, at that point. I was so ready. I was so over it. Let me tell you, I, cause I, anyone that has experienced the back labor, not being able to have relief in between was just insane. Like it was, it was wild. And, um, so yeah, I jumped into the pool and my midwife basically turned around to my husband and she was like, she is about to like rip or like she was, she's like, she was giving him certain techniques to do in my pelvic floor area because she knew I was about to roar this child out. So she was even telling me like, maybe, (laughs) maybe pace yourself a little bit, but I just could not, I couldn't like, I could, I couldn't. And if you've been there and you're listening, like, you know what I'm talking about, but yeah, I just was like, I was basically like yelling her out. Um, I was trying to keep my voice low. Like I was, they were very much low groans, but it was like a low yelling. Um, and yeah, she was out within two minutes and it really was not until her head was out that I finally was like, Oh my gosh. Like this is about to finally happen because I just thought it was never going to end. And yeah, so it was like maybe two pushes and then her head popped out and then I turned around. So, cause I was on all fours. No, I wasn't on all fours. She, her head popped out actually when I had one leg up. So if you can imagine my arms were on the birthing tub, one leg kneeling, one leg up. Um, that's when her head popped out and then they kind of helped me roll onto my back so my husband could catch her. And then on the next contraction, she just kind of like slid out, honestly. And she ended up being, she was like 23 and a half inches and I think nine pounds, seven ounces. So it was the fact that she came out that quickly. I definitely tore a little bit and yeah, so that was, she came out. I was just shell shocked, like absolutely shell shocked. I kept like looking at everyone in the room going like, I can't believe that happened. Like, there's just no way that this happened. And everyone's like, but it did like, she's right here anyway. So yeah, I, my chiropractor, like I said earlier in the story, 
went and woke up my son and he came out and we revealed the gender together and gosh, it was just such a night and day difference between hospital versus being at home. You're just at home. Then you can move to your couch and then you can move to your bed. And like, you've got your, you know, like I had my bone broth, like right there in my fridge. And then my first postpartum meal in my fridge that I had cooked myself. And like, I knew had nourishing ingredients in it. And like, it was just so holistic. I don't know. Like it was just such a beautiful picture of like everything I would have wanted out of, out of a home birth. So yeah, that was her story. The first word, I mean, I was pretty much thinking this the entire time that you were telling the story, but the first word that comes to my mind in all of that is surrender. There were (laughs) so many things that you were like, your body forced you to surrender to. I just, and I just want to say thank you for being real about all of it too. Cause like you were saying, like the new things are pain-free birth and orgasmic birth and all of these things. And when you scroll Instagram or Facebook groups or whatever it is that you're looking at, you see like the beautiful twinkle lights and the affirmations and the pictures and Mm -hmm. like you have this image in your head of home birth being like a super peaceful and serene and beautiful thing, which I think it is all the time, but that doesn't always mean that it's super easy. And I think it's really it's really common to get caught up in that idea that like, oh, if I have a home birth, it's going to be easy. I'm just going to have my baby at home. And that's not, I mean, sometimes that's the case. Some women have these super quick labors and babies are out within like two or three hours or whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. that's not always how it goes. And I feel like sometimes people think that diminishes a story if it's not like this peaceful, perfect picture that we have in our heads. But I think it's the opposite. Like these stories that take so much strength and resilience and surrender to get through, I think that they build you almost even stronger after having to go through all of that to bring your baby into the world. I I wouldn't I would not have had my birth go any other way now that I've had it. I mean, during the process, I was like, screw this. Like, what <laughs> even is this? But but in hindsight, whenever I reflected on it, And by the way, I highly recommend, you know, if you're having a hard time processing your birth, I actually had each woman on my birth team come to my house and they were bringing me meals anyways. And like my chiropractor was doing a, you know, a newborn adjustment. Like we were already, that was already kind of like the normal flow, but each day starting at like two days postpartum. Yeah. Like each woman came by my house and we actually just debriefed my birth and I learned things that I never would have made the realization otherwise. And it just helped me process through it a lot better. But I think, you know, the, the two things that I walked away with of just like how redemptive the experience was. And by the way, the fact that you said surrender is so interesting because that's exactly how I view the birth. But, um, the two big things that my midwife and my doula kind of like brought to my attention was one, um, I was preparing for the whole, I mean, basically what's popular right now, like the whole like pain-free, just like super powerful and like just this like, I don't know, like birthing with ease and like just peaceful. And that's how I, that's how I always envisioned myself giving birth. And it was the opposite of that. And something my doula helped me process through was 
how much I saw myself in the equation and my husband, like not being a part of the picture, like not even a little bit. I just saw him like, kind of like watching my son Koa and like, I don't know. I just, I never envisioned him as part of the birthing process. I just like, I imagine more of like a group of women and it being more like, I don't know, just like very maternal in that way. And, uh, yeah, the fact that I had to, from the moment that labor started, had to rely on my husband to partner with me in the birthing process was incredibly healing for our marriage for a multitude of reasons, because we had to, and it makes perfect sense because obviously you partner together to create this child in the first place, but I can't believe that I hadn't thought about just the way that we would partner together to give birth to this child. And so he was just as involved as I was. And that was such a, a beautiful part of our relationship um, in hindsight. And then the second thing that my midwife was saying was, and I, this blew my mind, but she was basically saying in a lot of her VBAC clients, she sees um, back labor being more common than not common. And especially in, um, she doesn't call them late term births, but maybe like commonly they'd be called late term. Um, she sees 42 weeks as full term and like anything, anything before that as like super early. Um, but she's like, if she, she basically said like in a lot of her VBAC clients and especially those that are over 41, 42 weeks, and therefore the baby is a lot larger, she says that back labor is um, something she sees a lot as this way of like the baby protecting your scar. And so, I mean, Rachel, you even talked about this earlier of like how you, it's not just you, it's, it's your child that's partnering with you in labor. That is a hundred percent what my daughter was doing for me to be in labor for 33 hours with a nine pound, seven ounce baby, like sitting on my scar the whole time, like who knows? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it would have ruptured, but like the fact that she just kind of like scooted her body back and was just putting more pressure on my back and saving. I'm telling you, like I had nothing in my front the entire time. I didn't feel, I didn't feel anything in my abdomen or like in my uterus, it was all in my back. And so I don't know, that was pretty mind blowing to me to like, to hear that from my midwife and be like, oh my gosh, like my birth was so sovereign and so like purposeful and so intentional and like it made me so thankful for the pain because the pain had so much purpose yeah definitely and i wish more women viewed the pains of labor as having a purpose because it does it's one of the only experiences in your life where the things that you're feeling serve that distinct purpose or the unpleasurable things that you're feeling i guess i should say serve that purpose of bringing your baby to you. And I think what you were saying about everything being in your back and it being a protective mechanism for your scar, I think that kind of goes back to like what we were talking about earlier with your body protecting itself. Mm -hmm. um, when we were talking about like your body needs to feel safe, otherwise things are going to stall and slow down and protect your baby. That's the same type of thing. It's your body and your baby working together as a protective unit. And I, I, I'm so glad that you shared that because I had never heard that before. I know you shared that on your stories on Instagram. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that is super cool. And on top of that was how, okay. So when I shared that, um, on my stories, the amount of emails that I got after that, and also after I shared my birth story, um, cause I don't think I was even still like making the connection at the time when I originally shared, when I basically announced my birth. I don't know, like a, a week or so after she was born, I was like, I said 33 hours of back labor and it was just like, you know, she's here home, be back, whatever. 
I got so many emails even then from women that were like, whoa, like your story is exactly like mine. Like I was 42 weeks, you know, I, my labor was over 30 hours long and it was all in my back. And I was like, huh, or sorry, they were, these were VBACs. And so, um, then when I shared it a second time, like what you're talking about and, and said, Hey, my midwife told me about this. I don't know if this resonates with anyone. I got another, another flood of emails from women who had had the same experience, but also what touched my heart so much was the women that were like devastated from, from being in that much pain. And through hearing that story and hearing what my midwife had said, it brought a sense of like healing because they were like, oh my gosh, that pain had purpose. Like, you know, putting putting like a little more explanation to why that could have happened, I find can be very healing to people. Yeah. And what you were saying too, about having each person on your birth team sit down with you and talk through the birth. I think that that is something that every woman should do if they can, because you, you can't see the full picture when you are in that moment. And so I think that there's always going to be bits and pieces of your labor that are missing just because your head isn't in the rational space that it is like on a day-to-day basis or like right now as we're sitting here talking, you really have to move into your more primal brain to be able to allow your body to do what it needs to do. And so there's a lot of times where things are fuzzy or pieces are missing or you're viewing yourself in a way that is like completely the opposite of what was actually going on. (laughs) And I think that the other people on your birth team can really fill that in because I've had, I've supported moms through births where they're like, I feel like I was just really whiny and crabby and annoying and blah, 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 whatever it might be. And that's not how anybody else viewed it. And so if they were to go on thinking of themselves in that way, like this is how I was in labor, it was horrible, I wish I would have done this, 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 and this, that completely destroys the picture of what it could look like. And instead of having that negative view, you can glean from the people around you and really hear how strong you were in those moments or I mean, whatever the circumstances were, you can just get that completely different perspective because I think each person on your birth team is going to have a different perspective too. And so it yes. really just helps fill in all of those gaps. That's such a good point. Cause I, I 100% that resonates with me where I, you know, in those first two days postpartum was debriefing with my husband. I was just like, I, I felt so like, did I even give birth? Like I, I just was like, did I even do this? Because I felt, um, like I had been so defeated because I knew how defeated I had felt felt during the process basically. And I was just like, I was like, basically my team gave birth for me. Like that was, that's like what I thought in like the darkest, darkest moments. And even when the first woman came over for my birth team and we actually told the story, I was like, like, they were like, you were a rock star. Like I, like, how could you ever even think that? Like it's, I mean, they acknowledged of course that everything I was feeling was, you know, these were things that I was feeling, but they were like, no, let me tell you what you actually did because we can just block out so much and feel so fuzzy about it. And interestingly, Mm -hmm. I've seen that at the same time that like pain-free birth has become popular, there's also been this rise in the medical world of epidurals being how moms have enjoyable births. Like there's kind of like a trend right now of just like, you know, pro epidural because moms can have enjoyable births and not beat themselves up, beat themselves up for not doing it, you know, with perfection. And I'm like, okay, I see, I can totally see 
how that trend has started at the same exact time that this pain-free birth thing has started because it's like moms have thought like, oh no, like if I feel defeated in some areas or if I feel like I am having a really hard time coping with the intensity of this, that I've failed because women are not sharing enough of these stories and we're not supporting each other enough. Like, Mm -hmm. so just being able to um, have my experience of having just the debrief time alone from my birth team, I think completely changed the way that I see my own birth. And I think that is what we're missing is this communal female relationship, you know, aspect of birth that brings women together where they just, yeah, just like support each other. And I was just so thankful for that. And that's how birth has been for all of eternity up until what, a hundred years ago when things switched over to being in the hospital is women were giving birth surrounded by other women, surrounded by these supportive birth teams and in communities, kind of like earlier when you were talking about the culture in Hawaii and these grandmothers teaching mothers who then teach their daughters and so on and so on, that came into motherhood as well. Like it went far beyond just labor and birth, but it went into like taking care of a brand new baby and raising a family. And it was so much more community centered than it is now because now we're so isolated and we don't have that same community that we had at one point in time. And I don't think that that's the way that it was supposed or now isn't the way that it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be how it had been for all of eternity up until things shifted to the hospital and we introduced all of these different medications and interventions and, and whatever else has come along with the industrialization of birth. Tell us a little bit about, well, how, how far postpartum are you right now? I'm three months postpartum. Okay. So you're still like right on the edge of that fourth trimester then, or maybe right over the fourth trimester. Exactly. Yeah. It would, it would have been yesterday because she turned three months yesterday. So how has this postpartum time been compared to with your son the first time around? I honestly could not have had a more opposite experience than my, than my first. I, I definitely had a couple friends when I was, when I lived in Florida that did life like us. Um, but when we moved to Hawaii, like one of the things we were seeking was for that to be kind of like the abundance here, I guess, more of like the cultural norm being attachment parenting and simple living and I mean, it was just, it was one of the driving factors basically of, of us, of us moving here. So with that, you know, you have just everyone, like everyone that has surrounded us since we've moved here, um, has just really, really believes in that very sacred time after birth where women just need to be supported and loved on and doted on and fed and, you know, being helpful in the, in the ways that are actually really helpful, such as coming over and cleaning your kitchen. Um, I had a friend, my friend Zena and Kendra came over. I don't know how, I think I was like four weeks postpartum and they were just like, we're coming over and we're going to come clean your kitchen and we're going to come bring you breakfast and we're going to come, you know, you know, take your son on a walk. And they just came over and just like, it, it was just everything I would have wanted basically. Um, is just, them sitting there with me just going, how are you? Like, I want to hear about what's on your mind and what's on your heart. Do you want to talk about your birth anymore? That's just the women that (laughs) honestly, it's just the women that are, it's, it's everywhere here where I live and I feel so incredibly grateful. And so that was one of the reasons why it's been so amazing is 
to feel so supported, like just so incredibly supported and so loved on. But on top of that, um, just the nourishment aspect of it, I spent probably like a month and a half um, prepping postpartum freezer meals and really like obviously working on my nourishment, you know, during pregnancy, but like, I guess intentionally preparing so that I would never have to go, you know, more than two hours without eating like a really, really hearty, just like nourishing warm meal was super important to me. And so I just took that upon myself to do that. I think a lot of people are like, man, that seems really overwhelming because I, I don't know when I would have the the time to do that. And I totally understand that. Like, like I said earlier, we don't have family here or like help in the traditional sense. And so we, what I did was just like triple or double a recipe. If I was making some sort of like instant pot meal or, you know, crock pot recipe. And then I would just freeze a portion of that and put it in the freezer. I tried to make it as part of like my daily life, as opposed to like, you know, setting aside time in my day to do that, to cook another meal on top of the other meals I'm already cooking that like, that just was not going to happen. But like by doubling or tripling a recipe, it made it so much easier And so, and then I also just really took seriously the postpartum time of rest. And so my husband and I, I mean, for, I guess, 13 months prior to that birth started preparing for what we wanted life to look like when two kids, you know, came into the picture. And so, you know, prior to having two kids, my husband was working away from the house and then I would work from home during my son's naps. But when he stopped napping and I basically we were thinking like, how do we want to kind of structure our business and how we make an income? We decided we wanted to switch things primarily over to passive income, digital products, and have both of us be able to be home. And so that is what we just like set the intention to do. And we did it. And I launched my online course and basically all of my all of our money comes from um, digital products now, which allows us to have so much freedom and flexibility as a family. And therefore we were able to have a very intentional postpartum period because we just planned ahead like that, where my husband's not going to be have to, you know, he's not going to have to leave the house after two weeks or three weeks or, you know, two days. Some people I know get like mm-hmm. crazy short um, paternity leaves and We set our lives like that because we don't have family around us. I think that some people might hear that and be like, yeah, that's totally unrealistic for us, but we do have grandparents that live 20 minutes away. So I'm like, oh, great. Like that's, that is one more person that can be, that can be helpful. And so for us, we were like, if we know that we don't have family help, like we want to restructure the way that we do our family. And also it was just really important for us to, I don't know, for like for my husband to to see his kids, you know, and like to mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time with them. And so yeah, we structured everything that way to really, like I said, make that time very sacred. And so I did the five, five, five rule where I was in the bed for five days, on the bed for five days, and around the bed for five days. I don't think I actually stepped outside until after that. So I spent like more over two weeks inside of my house. And I thought I was going to go crazy. Um, but it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, and I still like, we don't have AC here, so our windows are open all the time. So I did allow, you know, I I still got sun. Like I would just open a window and have the sun, you know, be shining on my, my daughter and I during the day, but it just like, it was so incredibly restful. And 
like I said, in the beginning of the, um, episode, I actually, I don't know if we were recording this or if it was the conversation you and I had beforehand, but I've been very vocal about how much, how much rest I've been getting in this postpartum period because I planned it. It wasn't like an accident, you know, like it wasn't like I got lucky quote unquote, that I've had a restful postpartum period. It was, it took a lot of planning, um, a lot of, a lot of restructuring our entire lives to be able to do that. And so I just don't want, you know, somebody to listen and think, well, I can't, you know, get that much sleep and I can't, you know, do blah, 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 because that doesn't work for my, for my life. And I'm saying, yeah, like we, we definitely, it, we, it definitely was not like an accident. Basically it, it did take a lot of planning, but that, that planning, that planning is so important whatever that looks like for you guys who are listening, like it's going to look different for everyone. We just figured out like what was important to us and then just kind of like reverse engineered it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and then our, yeah, my postpartum experience was incredible. I mean, it was, I felt amazing and no blues, no, no, no anxiety, just like nothing. It was just bliss. It was, I actually got to experience what people call, newborn bliss, newborn heaven, just me and my daughter and eating food in my bed for, for basically like, um, a month. And, um, yeah, I just took my first 40 days really seriously. And I think that my first outing was a mile down the street. We went to the beach one day, um, and just did that like, you know, a couple times a week. And then, um, but I didn't go into stores. Like I didn't go into like public for, I don't think I was, I think it was, it wasn't until I was like six or seven weeks postpartum when I like actually went into like our local health food store, like one time for like 10 minutes, but it just didn't feel right to like be out and like, like in and like reintegrate myself into society yet. Um, it just felt so much better to like have people come to me. And, um, I just really like honored that. I have one more question before we move on to the last question that I ask everybody. Um, So we were kind of chatting about this before we started recording, but will you talk a little bit about some of the stuff that, I don't know, I guess if it's you and your daughter or just your daughter has has done um, body work wise and everything going on with that. Yeah. So essentially the idea of oral restrictions, lip ties, tongue tongue ties, it's a new thing as in like only over the last uh, I think like 10 or 15 years has a surge of like lip ties and tongue ties come up. Um, I think for a multitude of reasons, you know, MTHFR might be one of them. Our environment might be another one. Um, but essentially as that has rised in popularity or I guess like occurrence, not popularity, but like occurrence, there has been also the rise of the medical and surgical way of addressing it. And the way that I guess we understand it as a society right now is, okay, if you have an oral restriction, if you have a lip tie or tongue tie, then you just snip it. But what we don't realize is that that is connected all the way down our entire body because um, it's fascia or fascia, however you want to say it. So it's connected to your whole body. And if you imagine like an iceberg, that's basically just the tip of the iceberg. And so um, there's not a lot of education around the fact that it's basically treating a symptom when you go in there and you like laser off or, 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 um, revise a tongue or a lip tie or a buckle. Um, and there has been, um, just like a, a, an amazing group of all different kinds of therapies 
to that have really been rising up to try to educate people on more of a holistic approach. So body work, craniosacral therapy, myofunctional therapy. Um, and basically the idea is you allow the body to unwind. So they call it being wound up basically, um, especially births where baby comes through really fast during the pushing process. Um, there is a moment where baby gets herself or himself into extension and is able to basically unwind in the birth canal. But I think that as we have started to birth differently because of, uh, modern medicine and, you know, all the things children are not being allowed to unwind the way that they should. And then add on top of that, you know, add insult to injury, all of the MTHFR stuff, you have an, an even larger occurrence of all of the restriction. And so basically, yeah, I, um, found this woman on the Island. Um, her name is Michelle and she, um, I, I can, I can leave her website in the, in the show notes. And she actually trains people. She really does not do any kind of one-on-one work anymore. She really wants to retire, but she wants to train people. And so, Um, if you guys know anyone that would be interested in getting trained in this kind of work, or if you as a mom want to learn this kind of technique, you're essentially just allowing your child to unwind themselves from birth. And in return, a lot of oral restrictions just completely go away on their own. And so my, I, I found her back when, um, I moved to Hawaii, but prior to that, I found a different lady who worked on my son. My son has had a lip tie and tongue tie since birth, but we didn't find it until he was like 18 months and we never revised it. We just had been, we just treated it through body work. And then with my daughter, she had an even more severe one because of her, I guess, coming through the birth canal so quickly and being so, so wound up. Um, but she, yeah, we're just treating it with body work as well. I actually have, if you guys go look at I have a highlight called lip tie and tongue tie on my Instagram. And I have a video where that woman, Michelle is working on her. And I, let me tell you, I have never had so many responses to a story I posted in my entire life. Um, where people were just like people that weren't even parents, like not even moms or dads. They're just like, what did I just watch? And like, (laughs) how amazing is this? Like, it's just the most amazing thing to allow it kind of opens up your mind to like, I guess your child's ability to communicate with you, even at one day old, you know, two mm-hmm. days old. And that was something I, I, I had to like unlearn and relearn when I got into like more like respectful parenting and attachment parenting. But yeah, this is just a, it's, it's, it's honestly been the most mind blowing experience. One of them, one of the most mind blowing experiences of parenthood is actually this technique and seeing children just be able to communicate what their body, like they're, they, they literally are able to communicate like what their body needs when you, uh, set the environment for this to happen. So yeah, essentially it's just, uh, it's a simplify it. It's basically unwinding their own body, um, from birth tension and utero tension. And in return, a lot of children never end up having to get any kind of a revision because the fascia the, or the front, the frenum, um, I think is what you call it is, um, loosened on its own, if that makes sense. So it's no longer tight because you unwound the whole body that is keeping that tight in the first place. It's so cool. And I'm glad that you mentioned that Instagram highlight because I watched that story too. And I was like, 
what? <laughs> what is this? Because my son had tongue and lip ties and we had them revised because that's just what we were told to do. We didn't know any different. And of so course. now I've started looking into more of these different things. I mean, he's done chiropractic care since he was three days old, but I didn't know about like craniosacral therapy or any of this other mm -hmm. stuff. And so now we've started looking into it because we're like, okay, can we still go back and maybe look at these different things and see if there is some healing that can come from oh, all of this even really. after the fact which it's just so interesting to me and just another one of those things that people don't talk about and so mm -hmm. we we need to get that out there because i know that there's other people that can benefit from that or other people's kids that can benefit from that but when it's not one of the mainstream things that are out there when right now it's just okay go get it lasered go get it clipped then people aren't going to know about it. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't, if you don't know, you don't know. So it's just, I'm just really glad that you, you shared that because that opened up like a whole new thing for me to explore. And it's just been really cool. Yeah. And I think that in anyone who's familiar with the medical or the, I guess the modern medicine approach, I think it's always to treat the symptom. And so it's just the same way, you know, like mm -hmm. getting it revised or clipped is just treating a symptom. And I'm not saying that that is not something you might need to do at some point. Like I'm fully open to the fact that at some point, you know, what if my own child's, uh, lip tie or tongue tie might need to get released. But if you set the foundation for the body to be able to accept the release, mm -hmm. um, then it won't rewind and like rewind back up once it has been released. And, and definitely if, if you're listening and you have done any kind of a revision, absolutely still bring your child in and explore this type of technique. Cause it is, yeah, like you can do it at, at any age, even as an adult, like mm -hmm. as an adult, we're still so wound up in, in, in ways that manifest itself as like, you know, lockjaw, TMJ braces, uh, orthodontics, like our, our, if we allow our, you know, our jaws and our mouth to like open the way that they should, we actually wouldn't have to force them to move with like wires. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> I won't get into it. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. I have a, a friend who she had a tongue tie and she's been doing all of these things. And she said it's been crazy how much tension has been released in her neck and her oh. upper back and her shoulders and everything yes. just from doing this body work. And she's like, I had no idea that my tongue or oral restrictions or whatever is going on can affect all the other parts of my body. But it just yes. shows how connected your body is, that it's not just one singular thing, it's everything together. Exactly, it's it's digestion, it's colic. I mean, babies that have had colic, like you go get one session done with this and all of a sudden like they have no fuss, fussiness, gassiness, anything. Like it, it affects your entire system. Mm-hmm. So the last question I always ask everybody is for any women that either just had a C-section or they're looking at having a home birth after having a C-section, what would you want them to know or what advice would you give them? I would say, because I actually get this question a lot um, of just like, hey, um, it's usually phrased in the way of like, hey, my doctor or my midwife isn't comfortable with the idea of me doing this or, um, or it's, and it's always just somebody else, like my mom or my mother-in-law or my husband, you know, says that I blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, let me just stop you right there. <laughs> let's just, let's just stop right there. I think my number one piece of advice is like you, no one cares as much as you do about the health of your child and about the health of yourself. If we can just step into that responsibility of 
educating ourselves of our rights and like what we can do and what we're capable of, I don't think we would give uh, like just like any attention to anyone that tells us that we can't. Um, there are all, you're always going to be able to find a provider that supports you like always. And you're always going to be able to come to a middle ground with even your, your partner, your husband, um, once all the information is out on the table. And so, yeah, my advice is always just like, Hey, like you can, you can fire your practitioner. Like if you guys aren't a great fit for each other, you know, you can, you can find somebody else. I know that sounds very blunt, but I just, I believe so strongly in you like, figuring out first what you want and what you know is right for you because your gut instinct can be trusted. If you know that a home birth is right for you and HVAC is right for you, you are going to find people that support that. You're going to find a whole birth team that supports that. Just believe in yourself basically of like, I know it sounds cheesy, but just like, just be able to trust yourself is, is really my, my main, my main point, because that will play into your whole pregnancy. It'll play into the way that you see yourself during birth. And it's something that we really need to relearn as as women is to be able to trust mm-hmm. ourselves. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about taking back that power and that control over your health, over your life, over your pregnancy, your birth, whatever it is, but not giving that away to other people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You, yeah, <laughs> I nailed it. Well, thank you so much just for being willing to share everything and and going through all of your experiences. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.